Alright, hello everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts and occasionally broader combat sports. Going to be a little bit of that today. Because there was a large boxing match over the weekend and, well, it wound up having a bit of an MMA bent to it that I was going to talk about it anyway because I don't mind talking about Tyson Fury. But, uh, turns out, uh, a little something interesting after that fight, as it pertains to someone you uh, MMA-only fans might be a bit more familiar with, so we'll we'll get to that. Uh, but on the MMA space... Sorry, I got way too ahead of myself there. My name's Robert Winfrey, and on the agenda this evening, last night the UFC had an event, was not great on paper, turned out to be pretty entertaining in practice, we were due. I think I said last week, you know, the... The crowd that does the, well, you know, it's the cards you least expect that deliver the most entertainment. They were silent about last week's event because, well, couldn't say anything. This week, again, you haven't heard quite that same... I hate people who say that, uh, who use that line, because it's a it's a UFC talking point. That's all it is. Uh, it's, it's not that it's never true. It's just when you say that, you're you're kind of carrying water for the UFC. Uh, a little bit what you're doing. But that, again, they do over-deliver sometimes, and this one, relative to how it looked on paper, over-delivered on the entertainment side of things. I was very grateful for this. Uh, I don't know how well I could have handled another event like last weekend. That was that was rough. So we'll review that. We'll talk again a little bit about some of the other combat sports stuff. Bellator had a double shot, and I said this... You know, a little bit ago, I meme on Bellator a lot because Bellator makes it easy to do so, but they also have some talented fighters, and their Bantamweight Grand Prix is actually pretty interesting. We got some of the fights that are related to that. Uh, a few other things from Bellator. We'll talk a little bit about some of the top-end fights from Bellator. Uh, yeah, just you know, again, some of the other stuff from the weekend of combat sports. Then next week, we'll be pre- we'll be pre- previewing the upcoming card, UFC on ESPN 35. And then news, such as it exists. There's not a lot, but there's a little bit, so we'll get into all of that. So before we get into anything proper, thank you very much for any and all support you give the channel. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review. If you've done any and all of that, whatever your particular platform of choice happens to be, uh, give the uh, give us, give us a share. Let other people know that you listen to the show. Let other people who you think might enjoy it know that it exists. Point them in our direction. Deeply, deeply appreciate that. Anything and everything you can do. Thank you in advance. All right. With that out of the way, let's jump into the UFC last week. I know which side my bread is buttered on, so to speak. Uh, UFC, again, on ESPN Plus 63. Main event in strawweight action. Jessica Andrade, former strawweight champion. Uh... Failed to capture the flyweight title last year, I think it was. It just kind of got steamrolled by Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, she returned to strawweight and fought Amanda Lemos. Andrade wins. Not terribly surprising. Via standing arm triangle choke. Very surprising. 313 of the first. The first round finish club sent out a lot of gift baskets last night. A lot of them. Um... Prior to the finish, Andrade was a lot more patient than she normally is, or has demonstrated, has been demonstrated to be. Took some leg kicks, was struggling a little bit with the distance. Finally, just kind of bulldozed into a clinch, 
as they were going in, she gets the standing arm triangle choke. Now, it's not that you can never finish the arm triangle choke standing. But there's a few things that have to go into this. Um, one, part of the reason you finish it on the ground, because uh, there are standing submissions, and the extra space always makes things more complicated. Here they were against the fence, which helped tremendously. But you kind of need... You need the ground to limit the uh, the angles that people can take, because you need to get... You know, here's the other part of it. You want to be as much on the same plane as the guy you're choking as possible. Uh, now, this is a generalization. It's not that there's no ways to finish it otherwise, but generally speaking, when you watch someone finish an arm triangle choke, why do, why do you tend to see them finished from side control rather than mount? Because you want to be as close to as flat on the ground as they are as possible. Uh, you also want to be able to kind of turn your body and crank things down, but it really is a little bit of just the, you want to be on the same plane. It tightens up the choke. When you're not on the same plane, it's more difficult. Not impossible, but more difficult. That's part of the reason it's so rare to get it standing, because I can try to keep you in front of me, and even if you've got, you know, the head and arm kind of position, if you can't get your body around a little bit off to the side to help leverage everything, it's pretty much not going to happen. Now, there's a few exceptions to this. The biggest one, and this is the one that is most relevant to Jessica Andrade, if you are inhumanly strong, you can make this work. Um, this is Jessica Andrade might be the pound-for-pound pound strongest fighter in the UFC, if not all of MMA. She is freakishly strong. Uh, I mean, she was tossing around... When she fought at bantamweight, she was bodying women, just tossing them around. She's she's insanely strong. This is one of the most... So you need to be strong to pull this off standing. You need to be very physically strong. Uh, the other th thing that plays into this, if you look at the actual like moments of finish, Andrade does finally get off to the side a little bit more. Prior to that, Lemos was doing a good job of staying more chest-to-chest. Which, again, it's not that you can't choke from there, but it's a lot harder. And once Andrade gets a little bit off to the side, she's able to kind of break Lemos down in height, in height, gets a little bit off to the side, and is, of course, unbelievably strong. Forces the tap. I mean, this is one of the most physically impressive arm triangle chokes I've ever seen. Um, it's not quite... Who did Rick's story... I gotta look up who he did it to, because... If you haven't seen this, this is absolutely nuts. Um, uh, was it Brian Foster? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. This was UFC 103, back in 2009. God, I've been doing this for way too long. Um, Rick Story is on top of Foster. He's in full guard. He gets the arm triangle choke. It's in the second round. And in the guard is able to make him tap. I can't tell you how strong you have to be to do that. You have to be a gorilla 
Like, that's it. Uh, if you want to get that choke from inside someone's garden, the guy on bottom has to have a degree of... Again, if you don't know anything, you just go, Oh, he's got me in an arm triangle choke, but I've got full guard. I'm safe. If you don't, if you don't have... It, if you are just completely lost down there, you might still get, you know, tapped out, especially by someone who really knows what they're doing. But, you know, Foster was no untrained amateur. And Story just... With this inhuman squeeze, like I, uh, what was it? What's kind of the ways that you have to describe this? Like, because you're you're hugging, it's, and I just say that like in the general sense, you are compressing. Like, have you ever tried to hug a watermelon and get it to break? I don't mean like an overripe one. Like, you, you ever tried? You grabbed a melon and just tried to squeeze it against your chest and make it pop. Uh, you need like. You need something like that kind of strength, which maybe that's the wrong example. Uh, but it's something like that, like, uh, or you know, the the people who have like grip strength and can crush apples. You know, the, that's kind of what you need. You need extra, extremely extraordinary strength to make that work. And you know, Story did it from full guard, which that's still the only time I've ever seen that. Uh. I mean, if you watch, like, lower-level lower, lower level grappling competitions, you might see it. Uh, you might see it, like, on amateur fights or whatnot, but you've got it. It's very, very rare. Uh, and I don't watch a lot of, like, you know... When I say lower level, I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, like, you, know, you can watch white belts roll. Uh, most, even most competitions, they they have divisions by belts and whatnot. Um, some, you know, the more prestigious tournaments will maybe only invite black belts or whatnot or invitationals but you know, I mean even stuff like the Moonji Isles and whatnot they have belt rank levels like there's a white belt uh, world champion I mean that's the level that um, Aldo won as a brown belt uh, so again you can they do break these things up so you can watch lower ranked guys rolling and you might see it a bit more often down there but uh, it's it's really really rare, and to get it standing, it's 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 incredible. Uh, Andraj, I think, tied Amanda Nunes with most is it most finishes or most wins? Um, I want to say wins. Yeah, she has 14, 14 wins in the UFC. Uh, she's also tied with Rose for most finishes in the strawweight division. Uh, yeah, she's, she wants to get back to fighting for the belt, and, you know, I wouldn't hate a trilogy fight between her and Rose. I'm just gonna throw it out there. I've said before, I, anytime those two fight over five rounds, I'm pretty much going to favor Rose, uh, I'm gonna favor, not Rose, sorry. I'm gonna favor Andrade. Like, I picked Andrade to beat Rose the first time. I was one of the few people doing that. Most people after, because Rose had just beaten Joanna twice. And there was not a lot of people giving Andrade a lot of shot there. And I, I think I picked Andrade. That's just how they match up. Uh, their rematch, which Rose won and, and won fairly, mind you. But I think over five rounds, just the way Rose fights and the way Andrade fights, I don't think Rose, I don't think Rose's style is built to beat Andrade the way those two match up. So... That's again. There's a little bit of an open question about the about what's going on at the top of the straw. But I know we've got Rose and Esparza. 
We've got Ioana and Weili Zhang scheduled to run back their fight. It's only going to be over three rounds. Now we've got Andrade back, and she's absolutely a a, a viable you know title challenger. She's very very good. Uh, a little bit of a slower start here. I don't know if that was just about Lemos or or what, but ultimately she got the win, and she's. Just a tough out, man. Even people who beat her. Like, you don't... The only person who had something of an easy time with Andrade was Shevchenko. And even that wasn't easy, easy. It was just... Uh, she's a she's a really good fighter. And she might win the belt back. Wouldn't surprise me one bit, so... Uh, solid enough fight for the main event. Again, didn't last all that long. Co-main event. Claudio Puyas defeats Clay Guida via knee bar. 301 of the first... Um, Puyas is now the only person, he was the only person with two knee bar finishes in UFC history. He now has three. This was, I don't have a whole lot to say about the fight in general. It kind of went as follows. Um, you know, they came out, they threw a few tentative strikes. I think Puyas went for the first takedown. Um, Guida kind of reverses him because Guida's the better wrestler, but Puyas, like, immediately uh, attacks with a triangle choke, switches to a triangle armbar. Guida gets free, switches to an omoplata, uses that for bits of control. When Guida is able to step around the head and get his arm free, he winds up in half guard, and Puyas inverts, grabs the knee bar. Um, Guida just got drowned. Like, he just got drowned in the jujitsu. Um Watch the knee bar. Like, look this thing up if you haven't seen it. It is lightning. Lightning fast. Uh, I mean, you can tell kind of how deep a knee bar is also by how far the opponent's leg is you know, trapped. Guida's foot was, like, up by Puyas's ear. Like, he had that in deep. Uh, good stuff from Puyas. Um, this was Guida's last fight on his current deal. He might be on his way out of the UFC. He's been with... Look, Guida... I have... I've made no secret about this. I'm not a fan. Uh, I have not enjoyed a lot of his fights. I think he has an unfounded reputation. Uh, and that's an argument that I've had many, many times. And look, I'm not saying if you like his fights that you're wrong. Enjoy what you enjoy. But I had turned on him before his fight with Gray Maynard... And a lot of people caught up to me after the Gray Maynard fight. Uh, but he's been with the UFC... But regardless of that, he's been with the UFC uninterrupted since 2006. I mean, whatever you want to say about the man's ability or his entertainment value at certain times and uh, whatever his ceiling happens to be at different points in his career... It is, that is some seriously admirable longevity to be in the UFC for that long. And frankly to, I mean, his UFC record is probably closer to the 500 mark than not. I mean, by which I mean, you know, wins and losses, not 500 fights. But he's won fights that he should have lost. He's won fights when he knew his back was against the wall. And he's one of those guys that, you know, I don't know if the UFC will re-sign him, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. They Certain elements of the brass seem to like having him around. 
It might come down to, at the end of the day, this one might come down to a dollar number. And what does he think he's worth versus what they think he's worth? But he's I mean, he's also got he's got to be near the end. I mean, he he might look okay when he fights most of the time, but he's 40. And not only is he 40, I mean, he's 40, he's had 59 fights. He might try to get one more just for the even for the round number. But I mean, again, you're talking about a guy who again 40, almost 60 fights, and whose professional debut was in 2003. So he, this is a guy who's been doing this for over 20 years. I mean, yeah, he's just near the end. Uh, I was still in high school when he started. I mean, you get you just get some of these guys with this crazy longevity. He's been one of them, and I think he has a winning overall UFC record. If I were to go through it, I'm not going to go through it here out live on the show. But if he does, it's barely. It's a lot closer to 50-50, right? But still, he's had he's been in places where it's like, well, you better win the next one. He won the next one, and he's and he's been part of some very entertaining fights. They're usually the, they're usually only the ones he loses. Uh, I've it's only it's kind of rare that you can find an exciting Clay Guida fight that he won. <laughs> it's not impossible, but it's really rare. He, his exciting fights tended to be the ones that he lost. But he's also never shied away from tough fights. Man, he's fought. He's fought a lot of people that, you know, were either avoided or he was just, you know, hey, fight, you know, this series of tough outs. And, yeah, all right, sure. Just been in the trenches. Uh, but he might be on his way out of the UFC. And I won't be surprised if they re-sign him. I won't be surprised if they don't. That's kind of where we are with him. Good win for Pouliot. That's five in a row for him. I believe he is five and one in the UFC. Uh, might be time to, he, he's due a bigger fight. He's, I'm not saying top 15, but he's due a bigger fight. You know, Guida's got decent name value, but he's well past it and everyone knows that. So give Pouliot, uh, give him a bigger opportunity. Uh, cause he's mowing through these guys. So again, good finish. I mean, look up that knee bar. It's slick. Pouliot's inverts so fast. So, so fast. Uh, fly Women's flyweight up next. Macy Barber defeated Montana De La Rosa via unanimous decision. 30-27 across the boards. Not a whole lot here. Uh, a lot of clinch fighting. Uh, Barber just the one who did a bit more damage. You know, I don't know what Montana De La Rosa is still doing in the UFC, to be candid. I mean, flyweight isn't really a division where the UFC can afford to just shed bodies. They're kind of weak on talent in terms of divisional depth. But De La Rosa is kind of who she is at this point. Um, one of the better all-around performances from Barber. But she's... I'm still not quite over... I'm still not quite seeing what a lot of people see when they look at her, and maybe that's just me. So, 
Um, let's see. Uh, Charles Jordan defeated Lando Venata via guillotine choke, 232 of the first. Um, this was fun for as long as it lasted. I said, I, this is one of those that I thought, I thought would be. Some good scrambles out of this. Um, Jordan gets kind of a one-armed guillotine. Uh, he threatens with it for a while, and you can finish a one-armed guillotine. Uh, and I don't just mean from mount. Uh, you can... If you want the actual... I, I can go briefly over this. If you want the actual nuance about how to do it in detail, Gordon Ryan has a really good series on it. Uh, you can find the videos. Uh, I think BJJ Fanatics has them, or wherever Gordon Ryan sells his stuff. But you get the, you have whatever arm you have uh, you can, around the neck, and, and the head kind of caught under your armpit. The other arm will grab the. So if if I'm using my left arm around the neck, my right arm will grab his, my opponent's left arm, the one right in front. And then to get the necessary leverage for the choke. You kind of flex your chest outward. You pull back like you're rowing a little bit. So out and back. And that kind of that will kind of create the necessary tension along the neck to facilitate the choke. You don't see it a lot in MMA. You, again, Ryan's, Gordon Ryan's done it a bit in grappling, but uh, so it can be done. He just recognized a point at which he's got Venata kind of dead to rights with it. So he brings the other arm up and goes to a more traditional kind of high elbow variant. Uh, and Venata tries to get out of guard, can't get out of the guard, loses his pants, his fight shorts actually, uh, and has to tap out. Solid win for Jordan. Jordan seems to have find, found his stride, and he called out Edson Barboza. I'm down for that fight. Uh, a lot of people calling out Barboza lately, but I would... Jordan at this point has earned a... Get where... I mean, Jordan's on a two-fight winning streak... And he's been a bit up and down, but if you look at his losses, I mean, he lost his UFC debut up at lightweight. Since then, he had the loss, the split decision loss to Andre Feely. He had a good case for winning that. And then the short notice thing with Julian Arosa. Uh, he had his draw sprinkled in there. Uh, that said, his last couple of fights, he's looked really good. Uh, so I'm, I'm amenable to him calling out a bigger name. Double check where Barboza is. Because Barboza is just coming off the loss to Bryce Mitchell. Uh, he's ranked 12. Yeah. You know, I, I don't hate Jordan. Again, I don't hate Jordan calling his shot. Uh, I think a fight with Barboza would be a fun stylistic matchup. You know, I mean, you got Shane Burgos sitting at 14. Jordan and Burgos would be kind of crazy. Uh, but he should be... Uh, I'm I'm not opposed to him kind of taking aim at the lower end of the top 15. Uh, tough loss for Venata, but Venata's kind of just this is kind of what he does. You know, he he'll turn in an entertaining fight, but he tends to trade wins and losses. Uh, there was a catchweight fight next. Um, Mark Andre Barrio stepped in on short notice, uh, replacing Roman Kopilov. Uh, so they contested the fight at 190 pounds. He defeats Jordan Wright with a guillotine choke, 236 of the first. Um, nice guillotine from Barrio. It's more on Wright. Uh, on Wright's takedown, he goes for a high crotch. And when you do this with your head already being, with your neck already being threatened, 
uh, one of the things you have to make sure you do is you get around the far side leg. Because uh, otherwise that leg comes up and then you can't pass to the safe side. Uh, one of the ways you do this, um, who was it I saw? I think Brian Peterson, the, the, the YouTube channel Teach Me Grappling. He has, I saw his video on this a little bit. What you want to do to kind of facilitate this is you, so if I've got your right leg, I need to put, if that's the one I've got up and I'm trying to take you down, I need to take my right leg, step around so my knee blocks off your left leg. This stops you from kind of rebalancing, and if you're worried about being choked, will stop, kind of help stop that leg from getting around into full guard. And he just wasn't able to block off the, he wasn't able to get around to the other, to the safe side, falls into the, the wrong side on half side, er, on half guard. Can't get out, has to tap. Uh, solid win from Mario. On the prelims, um, Sergei Hondushko uh, defeated Dwight Grant via TKO, 4.15 of the second. Fun little, fun little brawl between these two. This was your fight of the night, and I don't object to that. Light heavyweight Tyson Pedro returned for the first time since 2018. It was over three years. Uh, he defeats Ike via, uh, via Nueva via knockout leg kick and punches, 455 of the first. Was landing pretty good calf kicks throughout the first round. Finally drops him with one, and then as Villanueva is sitting against the fence, just hammers him with right kind of uppercuts to the... He's standing over him and just... I call it an uppercut because that's the direction it's going, but just those hockey punch-style uppercuts. Just boom, boom, knocks him out. Nice reintroduction for Pedro. Pedro was a legitimate prospect who just would make boneheaded decisions. I He was beating Ovin St. Prue until he got swallowed in wrestling. He was beating Shogun and then just made a couple of really, really boneheaded decisions that badly cost him. If he's able to smooth out his fight IQ, uh, he might still have time to be a player. Let's see, Bantamweight, Orichi Long defeated Cameron Else. Uh, this was uh, Orichi Long had moved up to Bantamweight for this. He'd been at Flyweight before. He looked okay here. Uh, Cameron Else did not have a good response to kind of the punching power, either in terms of, you know, what he, uh, his defense, his feet kind of got locked up, just uh, was not comfortable trading, and Orichi Long just punished him for it. Light heavyweight Felipe Linz, uh, sorry, welterweight. Preston Parsons defeated Evan Elder via unanimous decision, 130-26 and 230-27s. I was 30-26. Elder took this on somewhat short notice. He's more a lightweight than a welterweight. Uh, we had some fun scrambles here, but Parsons was just a superior grappler. Was able to get dominant position. He passed to mount a lot, a lot of arm triangle threats. Uh, eventually, he kind of bailed on those and just laid in ground and pound. A solid performance from Parsons. Light heavyweight. Felipe Linz defeated Marcin Prakneo via unanimous decision, 29-20 across the boards. Uh, Procneo 1, Linz 2, and 3. Not a lot of controversy here. Not a great fight. And speaking of not a great fight... God. Kicking everything off, Mike Jackson, who you might remember as having fought CM Punk in Punk's second fight for the UFC, in what I called the worst fight of that year. Uh, I got a little bit of crap for that. A lot of people thought it uh, uh, just disagreed with me. Which is fine. I'm not I'm not infallible. You're welcome to disagree with me, but that's where I landed. I thought that fight was the worst thing I saw all year. 
that happened the same year as Derek Lewis Francis and Ganu, which was number which was number two on that particular list. Uh, anyway, he was back for the first time. He won that fight technically, and then had it changed to a no contest after a failed drug test. He defeats Dean Barry via disqualification 352 of the first. This fight. Um, I also need to say something very briefly about the whiplash effect that I got from this fight. You see, right before the UFC event started, not not like minutes before, but not too long, the heavyweight title fight between Tyson Fury and Dillian White had ended. So understand, I went from watching Tyson Fury versus Dillian White to Mike Jackson versus Dean Barry without a whole lot of space in between. I mean, again, whiplash. The best heavyweight boxer of our era, Tyson Fury, that's my opinion. I'll talk about him and White when I get, uh, in a minute or two. Going from that to this. I mean, so, the fight ends. The round goes a little bit as follows. Barry comes out, he's way too amped up. He's throwing a, some sidekicks. He lands one. He, he lands a kick that's a little bit low. Everyone just kind of agrees to play on. There's not really a timeout for it, but Jackson says, hey, that was a little bit low. The ref kind of tells Barry, hey, keep him up. Um, Jackson's doing a decent job of shoulder rolling and kind of trying to pot shot from, from distance with his boxing, but he's not having a lot of success. Barry's hitting him with long-range kicks, occasionally getting through with punches, but is windmilling a lot of them. It's low, it's, it's low-end MMA. Then Barry tries a spinning back kick. And he spinning back kicks Mike Jackson in the groin. There is no dispute about this. Replay was unequivocal. We get a break. Jackson takes a little over three minutes. Um, ultimately, he does recover. Now, towards the end of his reco- of the time he took, Paul Felder on commentary. Felder did a good job all night. Let me, let me preface this: Felder and Cormier, Cormier didn't wasn't quite in full blown podcasting mode for mo- for much of this. Uh, they did a lot of vamping. There were some fights that fell out. So there were times when they had to vamp it. It seemed like DC got a fair bit of his silliness out of his system. Uh, he wasn't quite as... It helps that a lot of fights had finishes, some of them fairly quickly. He never quite got bored, which I think happens to him a lot. But towards the end of this, um, Jackson is talking the whole time. Like, he takes this kick, it's a bad kick to the groin, and he starts cursing, uh, and, he, and he's talking to the ref, he's kind of talking to himself. And after a couple of minutes, in this case, literally, about the two-minute mark or so, he's laying on his back and he's still kind of talking. And Paul Felder on commentary says, you know, if if you're feeling well enough to talk to yourself, you're probably feeling well enough to stand up. Now, he didn't say to continue. It was more like, okay, you, you don't need to still be flat on your back at this point, buddy. And he would... I, I'm going to give him a little bit of a break because that was his, that was the way he couched it. He did not say you need to be able to... If you're talking, you can continue to fight. That wasn't what he said. It was more... Again, you could probably be on your feet by now or at least making an effort to stand up instead of laying down. Now, 
we can draw some generalities about how people react to bad groin shots. Uh, but everyone, ultimately, everyone does respond differently. If some, if the way Jackson kind of processes and tries to move forward is a stream of consciousness soliloquy, a profane soliloquy, uh, whatever, that's his process. Um, it's not mine. <sighs> I've been hit very hard in the groin. That is not my process at all. <laughs> but it, it was just one of those things that it kind of towed the line of, you know, how acting in good faith. Jackson ultimately is able to continue. We get back to fighting, and a little bit later, they clinch up, and as they're breaking, Barry tries to frame off of Jackson's face with his left hand. In the process of pushing him away, he gouges Jackson's right eye badly. Uh, replay, badly. Jackson gets a break, of course, because he's been fouled badly. The doctor comes in to check on Jackson, and Jackson, for a while, can't open his right eye. After after a little bit, he can. Um, Barry is trying... Dean Barry is trying to insult Mike Jackson over this, and he took the easy way out, and I'll, I'll yell at Dean Barry in just a second. Um, when Jackson said, I can't open my eye, it looked like he couldn't. And then how the muscle responds like when you can't open your eye that's what's happening the muscles that control your eyelid in that area are spasming shut a little bit later you know about a minute or so later he can open the eye and that just means the muscles have stopped spasming this is this will vary wildly depending on individual cases it's not only it's not just how bad was the eye gouge people this is one of those things that gets missed um, I mean, if you look at what's another really bad eye gouge, uh, Li Jing Leong, when he fought Jake Matthews, like, to escape a guillotine choke, he just gouges Matthews in the eye. It's horrible. Matthews' eye never reacted the way Jackson's did, and that was one of the worst eye gouges I've ever seen. By contrast, you know, if you look at the, the poke, it was a poke, not a gouge in this case, that stopped the first fight between Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez. It was a legitimate shot to the eye. And I don't mean legal. I mean, he poked him in the eye. Stevens was not faking anything. But if you were to put just kind of the clip of what happened to Barry, or what Barry did to Jackson, next to what Yair did to Stevens, and ask which, is, which of these looks worse, I can tell you which one looks worse. And then you look at, okay, who couldn't open their eye for longer? You know, who had the more kind of dramatic effect? Stevens. And so it's one of those things that just, it's not as one-to-one -one and it's not as scientific as you would like to think. Uh, so Jackson can kind of open the eye, but ultimately says, no, I don't think I can continue. And so we rave it off. The referee decides that, you know, this was your second major foul and you gouge the guy, we're, we're, I'm going to disqualify you. I am okay with that decision on the part of the referee. If you if you foul someone twice badly in the same round, now again, badly is something of subjective. That's going to come down to the individual referee and the individual foul. Not all fouls are created equal, I understand this. But if you do a couple of serious fouls, and both of these fouls were serious, both that low blow and the eye gouge were bad, at a bare minimum, I think a point should be deducted. 
Like, that should almost be mandatory. Like, okay, your second major foul, you lose a point. Straight up. Uh, and couldn't continue, so I got... So, DQ. Oh, I am completely okay with that. Completely okay with that. To Barry accusing Mike Jackson of taking the easy way out. Here's just a thought for you, buddy. Maybe don't foul the guy. You have so many things in the space of the unified rules of mixed martial arts that you can do to another human being. You can punch them in the face. You can punch them in the eye. You can elbow them. You can destroy joints. You can choke them unconscious. You can break their bones. There's so much, so many weapons available at your disposal, so much that is legal. And in the space of a, a round that didn't get into the fourth minute, you know, it went longer because of the foul time, but in less than four minutes of fighting, you decided that I'm going to kick this guy in the groin and then I'm going to gouge him in the eye. Congratulations, you cheated. This is on you, no one else. Get over... Look, I, I don't care that you think he could still fight. You're not him. You don't get to make that decision. You decided to kick him in the groin. You decided to eye gouge. That's what you decided. Congratulations. Here's the consequences of your action. And if you're so inexperienced and so amped up on adrenaline that you lack proper control, that's on you as well. Jackson did not... He didn't do anything wrong. I'm sorry, like, I'm not a fan of Mike Jackson's. But who is the aggrieved party here? Who got fouled more than once? Seriously. This wasn't a Josh Koscheck thing where he's kind of miming the injury and then we see on replay that no, that didn't land. You gouged that guy in the eye. If he doesn't, if he no longer feels it's advisable for him to continue fighting, that's his choice. And that's his right given what you did. This is on you. Full stop. Quit trying to shift the buck. It's not about Mike Jackson. He didn't choose to take the easy way out. He chose to take a fight. But he was losing. He chose to be a 40-year-old man without an official win to his name fighting in the UFC. Nothing easy about any of that. But, and look, I get that you're upset. I'd be pissed too, but understand where the blame lies. And it is with you and only with you. If you had fought clean, we would not be having this conversation. But you fought dirty. And, okay, tell you what, I'll, I'll even rescind a little bit of that. Because dirty implies a lot more intent. Even if you are, even if you are not intentionally being dirty, you fought reckless. And when you fight reckless, this happens. And and when you start fouling, guys, you're going to run into people who go, you know what? No. I'm not going to... I know the rules. I'm not going to be party to being kicked in the groin. And then gouge. And then I gouged. Fight, fight clean. And this won't happen. But, hey, but no, no. This... For a sport where a significant chunk of the athletes 
try to espouse a philosophy of personal responsibility and whatnot, they are very, very quick to shift blame in circumstances like this to someone who they do not feel measures up to some arbitrary, imaginary version of... What do you want to call it? Uh, your imaginary code of conduct? Right? Like, no, no, I... I these are, the, these are the same people who think tapping out to strikes makes you less of a man. Who... Which is ridiculous, by the way. Who think that... What's the other one? Again, who think that if someone says, I, I don't think I should continue to fight, well, you're clearly not... You're not enough of a man to be in here. You're, you're taking the easy way out. You're a coward. You're a... It's, it's ridiculous. I'm not saying fighters never milk things. Okay, again, I was present and a fan during Josh Costa when he had like three fights in a five-fight span where there was some serious shenanigans going on. I'm not saying fighters never milk anything. I am saying it th again, this has nothing to do with him and everything to do with you. You fouled him. Deal with it. And if you can't accept the consequences of your action, then you're going to do this again, and something bad is going to happen again. Again, I understand you being upset. I'm not saying I wouldn't be upset if I had my purse cut in half because I lost a fight. I am saying you have to understand where the blame lies if you want to not have a repeat of this. And the blame does not lie with Mike Jackson here. The blame lies with you. And no one else. This was not a bad call by the ref. This was not an irres there was no irresponsible fighting on the part of Jackson. This was you. And only you. No, Mike Jackson did not take the easy way out. He was put in a position, due to illegal blows by you, to decide he no longer felt comfortable fighting. That's it. That's all there is to it. That's... Again. And if you don't want this to happen, get your stuff together, man. Fight controlled. Be, be more disciplined. And fight within the rules. There's nothing complicated about this. Well, here's my little rant there to Dean Barry. Um, it was not a good fight anyway. Uh, and that was the event. Now, we lost a couple of fights the week of. Um, we lost Manel Kopp and Sumudarji. Unfortunate. I was kind of looking forward to that one. Uh, during the event, they announced that we lost the fight between Alexander Romanov and Chase Sherman. Uh, they're going to bump that to, was it next week? I think it was next week. Uh, it was Yeah, yeah, they're bumping that to next week's card. Which already has a crappy heavyweight fight on it. Why? Oh, that's not fair. Uh, so I'll get a full preview of that one. But that was the event, your bonus winners. 
Uh, fight of the night, I mentioned a little bit before, Sergey Kondosko and Dwight Grant. No objection. Performances, Jessica Andrade and Claudio Pues. Um, I mean, I'm not going to argue with that, uh, but they were kind of spoiled for choice. You know, there were a lot of people who you could have given that uh, one of those bonuses to. I imagine there were some other discretionary bonuses handed out, but uh, yeah, it's not, no objection to any of that. So thank you very, very much to everyone who followed along with my live coverage or read my report after the fact. That is available right now in the MMAZona411mania.com. All right, let's move on to some other combat sports news. Let's start with boxing. Tyson Fury, the WBC and lineal heavyweight champion of the world, had a fight with Dillian White. This took place in, they were in, uh, were they in Wembley? I think they were at Wembley Stadium. Giant crowd, uh, Broke the record for, like, indoor attendance of 90-some-odd thousand, I think. Huge crowd. Uh, the undercard for this event, by the way, just sucked. Um, one of the undercard fights was um, uh, Tommy Fury, Tyson's uh, younger brother. One of his younger brothers. Wins a six-round decision. Uh, here's the thing. Tommy Fury's been one of those... He and Jake Paul had some back-and-forth a little bit ago. Uh, this might be a controversial... This is not a controversial take. I mean, let me rephrase. This might. This is an unpopular opinion. I think if they make that fight, Jake Paul wins. Uh, I am deeply unimpressed with Tommy Fury's boxing ability. Uh, Jake Paul would, would probably beat him. <laughs> Again, that's unpopular because people don't like Jake Paul, but that kind of is what it is. Uh, as for White and Fury, ends in the sixth round via knockout Fury with this beautiful, beautifully timed uppercut. White drops down, you know, flat on his back, timber. He gets up before the 10 count. The referee says, walk to me. Takes two kind of steps and then just staggers off to the side. Uh, good stoppage. Poor Dillian White, um, after the vaccine. You know, I thought it was kind of a close fight. Um... No. Uh, the official scorecards, all of them had Fury ahead going into the sixth. One of them had given him all five rounds, so did I. The first was closer. One judge had given uh, White the first, which I think is acceptable. One judge had given White two and three, and then had given Fury one, four, and five, which I think is a little bit odd. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But he was down. It it wasn't a total blowout, but every round things got worse for Dillian White. First round, a little bit even. Low activity round from both gentlemen. Uh, I, I gave it to Fury, but I don't, I'm not crying wolf at, it, at someone who you know, gave it to White. Second round, better for Fury. Third round, better for Fury. Fourth round, better for Fury. Fifth round, better for Fury. Like It, it, it just started rolling downhill for Fury very, very quickly, and it's not that White never had chances along the way. He landed a couple of decent body shots, but he never got a feel for the timing. He never got a feel for the range. Anytime he kind of got into his punching distance, he was too slow to pull the trigger and would find himself either unable to fully corral Fury or clenched up. 
thus kind of negating his off. He landed a couple of decent body commentary was all over trying to sell his body work when it was way too infrequent. He did a lot more head hunting, and that's just not a that's just not a winning strategy against Tyson Fury. I mean, if Deontay Wilder couldn't win by head hunting Fury, I don't think anyone's going to. It's just, it's just not going to win. You have to be a bit more thorough in your approach. Um, good knockout win for Fury. Uh, home you know, big homecoming fight for him. He said after the fact that he, after the fight that he thinks this is his last boxing fight. Uh, if you believe him when he said one of the things about Tyson Fury. Now I'm not going to be surprised if he winds up boxing again, but Fury's always been a very a very candid person. Like he's he's never really um, hidden a whole lot. Like when he had problems, there was no hiding them. Uh, so he he's been fairly again uh, forthright and candid when it comes to stuff like this. So if he says, you know, my wife talked to me after the third fight with Wilder and said, you know, I want you to retire. And his, his response was, I got the opportunity to fight. You know, I fought a lot in the UK for a while, fought, you know, in, because uh, he beat, because he beat Klitschko in Germany, I believe it was. You know, I've done, he fought a lot in, the, U, in uh, the UK and other parts of Europe. Came to the United States, got a couple of big wins, including the Wilder Trilogy. And had the opportunity to have a homecoming fight in front of the largest, you know, one of the largest indoor crowds ever. Uh, certainly in the history of that venue, at least. Maybe in all of, maybe in all of the UK. I forget the specific statistics, so forgive me. Uh, come back to my home country uh, to fight in front of this giant crowd, and to then get, you know, a, a picture-perfect knockout. Uh, if he says he's done, I'm not going to be surprised if he is. I mean, just, I, I tend to think that's a bit more likely. Um, I occasionally forget that Tyson Fury is younger than I am. I mean, he looks older than me. But, you know, hard living at some points will do that to you. Uh, yeah, he's younger than I am. It's crazy to think about. I have wasted so much of my life. Uh, he's, but you know, he's, uh, I'm not going to be surprised if he stays retired. I'm just going to put it like that. Um, this, that breaks kind of, uh, kind of breaks Mark Radulich's heart, <laughs> who more than anything else, I think just wants a unified heavyweight champion of the world. And we were poised to get it. You'll remember in the aftermath of, uh, Usyk beating Joshua and Fury's third fight with Wilder, um, Sorry, before that, actually. We were kind of in position to get this, to get uh, to get Fury and Usyk. And then Wilder insisted on his rematch clause, and that kind of pushed things back a little bit. Then we got to a point where we were kind of set. I think both Dillian White and Anthony Joshua were ready to take step-aside money. Uh, and then it just kind of fell apart. So now we're going to get the rematch between Usyk and Joshua. The WBC belt, if Tyson retires, will be vacated. Um, 
I don't know, they might... Could the WBC just put it up for grabs in that fight between... I don't, I forget the specific legalities. But, yeah, this, this kind of broke Mark's heart. Like, he's... No, he's in the denial phase of the poten about Fury potentially being retired. Um, here's the interesting... Here's one of the weirder things about this. And this kind of came out... In the, in the post-fight interview, you know, Fury does his usual shtick, then he's talking with ESPN, and in the ring, in close proximity to him, is UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou. Now, Ngannou had posted on social media he was present for the fight. Like, he, his presence at the event was known. But Fury pulled him... Again, he's already in the ring. Fury pulls him over says, you know, this is the UFC heavyweight champion, and we're going to fight. And, and Ganu said, yeah, we're going to, he and I are going to determine who the baddest man on the planet is. Uh, you know, Ngannou's coming off of knee surgery, so he's still got a bunch of, you know, some rehab to do. He's got his contract with the UFC to sort out. Like, there's, there might still be hurdles. But they both seem to want this fight in some kind of mixed rules thing i don't know exactly what it would be um you know some people had speculated maybe uh you know first round boxing second round mma third round boxing you know, we alternate rounds and then we um you know do uh do like four minute rounds so between three for boxing and five for mma uh Here's my thinking about this very briefly. Um, I think Fury will not go in for a full MMA rule set fight, nor should he. Have you seen Tyson Fury's legs, people? If Francis Ngannou lands one calf kick on him, just one, <laughs> and Ngannou can kick, um, what we might get... If I had to, if I were to hazard a guess, we'll probably get boxing rules with MMA gloves in a cage. I think is probably the most realistic compromise. I don't see Tyson Fury agreeing to. Uh, I mean, I mean, I don't mean this to knock Tyson Fury. If you're going to go into a fight, I mean that man has dedicated his life to boxing. He's not an MMA fighter. And he's you know, the best heavyweight boxer of this era, in my opinion. Uh, I think he would beat Anthony Joshua. I don't think Joshua could deal with the range disparity. I don't think Joshua could deal with the technique. You know, Joshua's outboxed by Usyk, and Tyson Fury can be a very slick boxer when he chooses to be. I think the size disparity plays against Usyk. I think very highly of Alexander Usyk as a boxer. As a technician, he's great. But I don't know that he could deal with what Fury brings to the table. And Fury is a almost comically adaptable fighter. He will tailor a game plan and a strategy to his opponents. i got to fight Deontay Wilder. Well, he's no good on the back foot, it turns out. So I'm going to pressure him. I'm going to bully him. I'm going to clinch him. I'm going to wear him out. Well, now you got to fight Dillian White. Well, I'm going to fight a little bit longer. I'm going to fight all the way out or all the way in. I'm going to keep my jab working. He just He's able to alter how he fights depending on his opponent in this... Re what was that I heard Pat say? 
Tyson Fury has easily the highest fight IQ of any heavyweight in the world right now. Nobody makes better decisions in the ring than Tyson Fury. And that will that leads to long-term success. Dis- good decision-making, minute-to-minute, that will lead you to victory. I... So I don't know. I don't know if he doesn't come back for another boxing match. I would favor him over Usyk or Joshua. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, in a mixed rules fight with Francis Ngannou, I would need to see the rule set before I made some kind of prediction about who was going to win. Um, it was interesting that Ngannou was there and made this, and he was there on ESPN again. Big platform. He's. He is trying to force the UFC's hand a little bit. He's serious. He seems serious about potentially getting out of his contract, um, which I don't blame him for. And I said, I've said for a while, I think he's serious about that. Uh, he's not been happy with his treatment for a long time, and with some good reason. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying he's made. I'm not saying he is an angel when it comes to his relationship with the UFC. And listen to my review of the fight between him and Fran, uh, and Cyril Gaon. And I talk a little bit about the contract situation there. And Ganu has, in some respects, he's made bad moves. He's he's been the bad guy on occasion. But he, but the UFC is he and the UFC have wronged each other. It's been a complicated relationship. And neither one of them is the angel or the purely aggrieved party. But if they make that fight, uh, it's not going to be Mayweather McGregor. I mean. Tyson Fury is not the pay-per-view draw that Floyd was, and Ngannou is certainly not the pay-per-view draw that McGregor was. But I do think they could draw a serious crowd. Again, the rule set would determine a little bit of this. But I do think they could draw. Uh, And I think there's a lot of money to be made there. So, and for the record, uh, for those of you going, you know, some retirement by Fury if he's going to fight Ngannou, he said he doesn't consider that a boxing match. So, again, depending on the rule set that's involved and whatnot, um, who knows? He said that he might go, he might be interested in another kind of WWE run, which he display, he's got the personality for it. He's not done, you know, he, he's certainly not done the, you know, the wrestling training thing. I mean, he learned how to take a few bumps. He had that bit with Braun Strowman. You know, they, he and Braun Strowman had a match at a, one of the Saudi blood money shows. But he certainly got the personality for it. I mean, the pre-match package they had for him was amazing. I mean, just amazing. Watching that, watching White and then Fury... Tyson Fury has the best walkouts in combat sports. Period. Watching that just reminded me how bland the UFC's presentation is. Even for their biggest fights. What's the biggest fight in the UFC you can think of? And there's several you could choose from. What's the most interesting thing they've ever done in a, for the walkouts? I mean, the closest they've ever come would probably be, and this wound up being um, McGregor versus Chad Mendez. Because uh, that was going to be McGregor and Aldo. And they got live... Uh, uh, so Sinead O'Connor sang Conor McGregor to the ring, and then I forget who... Uh, there was a country star whose name escapes me, so forgive me, who sang Chad Mendez to the ring. 
And the joke that came out of that was, with Jose, you know, Jose Elder comes out to a Rihanna song, right? There's no way they're going to pay Rihanna the prices for that, for her to do that live. Uh, but that's the closest they've come. Like, they, the UFC's presentation is just bland. Like, you can still feel the electricity when you're watching an event, but the UFC does very little. Like, they're... When they want to, you know, they're they're um, kind of pre-pay-per-view packages, and those promos can be really good. A lot of them are very bland, but they can be very good. Uh, this, but they don't, you know, what what kind of personality do fighters get to show on their walkout? Really, you know, you you've got to wear the Reebok kit. Uh, you've got to just walk to the ring. It's all, it's just homogenized and it's bland. And then when you see something like what Tyson Fury, I mean, not just this fight. Look at any of Tyson Fury's last, like, five or six walkouts. But since he came back, pretty much. I mean, the man is a showman. And he's allowed to demonstrate that. The UFC doesn't let their fighters do that. And I'm not entirely sure why. I mean... There was a time period when I think they wanted to get away from the pro wrestling style of presentation, and I can understand that a little bit. But, you know, Pride let guys have their personality as they walk to the ring, and Strike Force does a little did. Strike Force did. Bellator does on occasion, but the UFC is the only promotion in a position to really kind of capitalize on this, and they just don't. They just rather churn out the same looking stuff every time. Uh, that was White and Fury. Solid knockout for Fury. If he is done boxing, best heavyweight of this era. Without a whole lot of controversy, to my way of thinking. You know, he was the undisputed champion when he had his mental health issues. He battled back, regla- regained a belt, had a very successful trilogy with Deontay Wilder. I mean, his third fight with Wilder was a darn good fight. You know, the first one was marred by a bad decision. The second was very one-sided. The third was kind of the perfect balance between the two, so... I mean, it wasn't marred by a bad decision, but it was kind of the right balance of Fury's doing his thing, and then Wilder gets a couple of hope spots, and it's emotionally an emotional roller coaster. But it's not the most technically interesting boxing bout. I mean... Jo- Usyk versus Joshua was a more technically interesting fight than Wilder Fury 3. Wilder Fury 3 was a much more engrossing fight. Anyway, that was that was boxing. Um, let's talk Bellator for a second. Uh, so Bellator, I mentioned this before. They had um, they had a double shot. So they had an event on Friday and then one on Saturday. Uh, I forget exactly when the one on Saturday took place. I think it was after the UFC event. So the one on Friday, I don't have a whole lot here. Um, there was some decent stuff. The big thing was a couple, was a, um, they had, after Sergio Pettis fell out of the Bantamweight Grand Prix, they had to, they had, had a couple of play-in fights. So I'll talk, I'm going to talk briefly about those. But your main event for the Friday card, Liz Carmouche defeated Juliana Velasquez for the women's flyweight title via TKO in the fourth round, late in the fourth. Not a great stoppage. 
Um, Carmouche had a, she had side control, might have been a mounted crucifix, I forget the exact position, but one of those two. And is dropping some short forearms more than elbows. There's only a couple of seconds left in the fight. We bar like not even around 10 seconds, I think it was. 13, yes, around 10. Um, the elbows weren't especially damaging, and yeah, Velasquez is kind of stuck. She's not flat on her back. She's kind of bridged and is... Um, it's just not a good stoppage. Uh, Velasquez was winning up until that point. I had her up 30-27. Um, not a great stoppage. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. So they might try to run that one back. We'll have to wait and see, but... Uh, Again, Liz Carmouche had won that round, and that was not a good spot for Velasquez to be stuck in, but I, that did not feel like a fight-ending sequence. So, uh, just where I landed on that one. Uh, Enrique Barzola will be part of the Grand Prix. He fought his way in. This was a catchweight fight, I think. I can't remember if somebody missed weight or if they had a short note. It, I think they, this came together on short enough notice. They both just kind of agreed to it. Uh, Enrico Barzola won. Pretty good fight. Uh, Danny Sabatello defeated uh, Jornel Lugo. 30-26 is across the board. Sabatello, he might be someone to pay attention to. Like he, This was a dominant win. Uh, I think that's the only stuff I wanted to talk about there. So the other event, UFC, uh, excuse me, Bellator 279. Um, some interesting stuff here. This took place in, they were in Hawaii for this. And the Hawaiian crowd, uh, credit to them, man. They were rocking and rolling. Uh, all night. But, and a lot of us, a lot of people kind of went, so why haven't we had more events in Hawaii? Well... Because there's a decent chance Bellator lost money on this. Uh, the the tax rate for stuff like this in Hawaii is absurd. And there's a reason there's not a professional sports team in Hawaii. And it's not that nobody wants to host one, or there's no interest in having a venue, or anything like that. Uh, it's purely financial. But main event, uh, Chris Cyborg defeated Arlene Blenko via unanimous decision. Pretty typical stuff. Uh... Blanco won one round. I can't remember which one. I wasn't really scoring this. Um, there was an issue in the... No, she didn't win a round. There was a point deduction. Cyborg was beating the crap out of her in the first round, but landed in illegal knee. Point was taken. Um, Cyborg won every round. There was just a 9-9 thrown in there. Um, as expected. Uh, Halfie and Stotts defeating Juan Archuleta... Stotts is some... Again, he's another one of these bantamweight guys you got to pay attention to. Man, bantamweight is a deep enough division that there are plenty of guys outside the UFC who are very good. Stotts might be one of them. Uh, the other bantamweight fight from this one, uh, a five-rounder. I think all these are five rounds. Was, or was this a interim? Yeah, this was the interim. Oy. <laughs> because Pettis fell out, and Pettis is the champion, Sergio. Uh, they're creating an interim title to go along with this. Uh, will be defended throughout the... Yeah, just... Unnecessary headache. Uh, Patchy Mix defeated Kyoji Horiguchi via unanimous decision. 48-47 across the board. Mix was just able to, in three of the four, five rounds, get back control and ride out the round. Kind of similar to how Aljamain Sterling did, uh, does a lot. Just, hey, I got your back. 
And you can't get me off of here, so I'm going to win this round. And if I can do that three times out of five rounds and then not drop a 10-8 round or get stopped, I win. Uh, wasn't a bad fight. Um, sucks for Kyoji Horiguchi, man. Uh, he's on a rough stretch right now. But Mix... Mix might win the Bantamweight Grand Prix. Just throwing that out there. Uh, Yancey Medeiros and Emmanuel Sanchez had a barn burner of a three-round fight. Those two just... Those... They just went to war. Uh... That was, a good, that was a pretty good one. Uh, Kish and Alimale McFarlane, I didn't really care about. Uh, Kish beats Alimale McFarlane, which is... That might be a seriously... I'm not going to say totally back-breaking loss for McFarlane, but... Uh, it's not a good one. That's a, that's a pretty bad loss. She's now lost two in a row. I mean, she could retool and whatnot, but... She's talked about potentially thinking about retirement uh, recently in the past, so I... It's a bad loss. Anything else from that card worth talking about? Not really. I mean, Goiti Yamauchi getting a submission to... I think he has, like, the most submission wins in Bellator history now, so that's something. Uh, it just wasn't a whole lot else here, I think. Yeah, so that was Bellator. A uh, couple of things from the PFL, actually, I'll talk very briefly about. Um, Antonio Carlos Jr., uh, Shoeface, got a, like, 30-second, and uh, not Anaconda, Darce choke. Um, one of the things that came out after the fact, he said he paid more in taxes for this fight than he, w than he made in his entire UFC run. And... Uh, which I don't really have a problem believing, depending on how he's talking about how much he earned from the UFC. If he's talking about how much he netted from the UFC, I don't really have a problem believing that. Uh, he mentioned he was on like a... This is something that happens to the people from The Ultimate Fighter. Some of them will sign bad contracts. And that's that was the case with him. He signed a 10-fight deal. And... If you're on a 10-fight deal, you'd best believe the UFC is not going to renegotiate that until you're on your last couple of fights, if they're going to renegotiate it at all. So he got he got seriously hamstrung in that respect. Like, 10 fights for whatever he got paid coming off of the Ultimate Fighter? That was... Yeah, that was... he. Was, I mean, he was probably not paid a whole lot coming off of that show, if we're talking contract. And then to have to go through, have to fight that out for ten fights—that's a lot, man. You got to figure that's at least—that's three to four years. That's three to four years of making what, fifteen and fifteen? I don't know exactly. I don't know. I'd have to look up what he was making, but uh, he was probably—he was—he was. Let me put it this way: he wasn't making even fifty and fifty. He—he might have been like twenty-four or thirty-two on either side. But you got like four years of trying to fight out that. Yeah, I don't really have a problem believing that he got paid more for this. He That this was more lucrative for him financially than a lot of his UFC career, if not all of it. No problem believing that at all. Uh, other thing from the PFL, very briefly. Um, if you didn't see Clay Collard versus Jeremy Stevens, look it up. Darn good fight. Darn good fight. 
though. That's my other combat sports related stuff roundup. Let us move on to the next UFC event to preview. So UFC on ESPN 35. Uh, this shouldn't take very long. I've been going for a while at this point. Um, main event, good fight. Rob Font and Marlon Vera. Uh, two highly ranked bantamweights. Where are they both ranked at the moment? Font is five, Vera is eight. So, yeah, two, two top shelf bantamweights. Font, uh, coming off a loss to Jose Aldo. That broke a pretty long winning streak he had going. Uh, whereas Vera, I believe is on a good winning streak. Two, also has a loss to Jose Aldo in there. Beat Sean O'Malley. He's got, he knocked out Frankie Edgar's last fight with that front kick. Um, this is a very good fight. These are two very technical fighters. Vera's a bit more wild and, and a bit more unpredictable when it comes to his techniques. Font's a bit more fundamental, but that you know, leads to a lot of success. Uh, both men are pretty good grapplers. I imagine whoever gets on top will be at the advantage. Font's a slightly better wrestler. I feel like whoever... I'm not going to be surprised by either guy winning. They're both very good. I'm going to lean towards Vera. And I'm probably going to feel silly. Because Font is just... He's pretty rock solid, man. But I, I am going to lean... I'm going to lean towards Vera, so... We'll see how that goes, but that's uh, it's a really good fight. The rest of this should come quicker. Heavyweights, Andre Arlovsky and Jake Collier. That's going to suck. Um, yeah, it's going to be Arlovsky. He's going to do what he always does. He might give away the first, and then he's going to force Collier to fight the fight. Arlovsky wants to fight, and Arlovsky wins those fights. Featherweight, Andre Feely and Joe Anderson Brito... As much as Feely is past his sell-by date, uh, he's 31, but hasn't won since 2020 when he had a split decision over Charles Jordan that, again, I kind of thought he lost. Uh, he's probably going to win this, but, you know, Feely's just meh. Uh, lightweight, Jared Gordon and Grant Dawson. It's not an awful fight. Uh, Dawson coming off of a draw, which I think was fair. He kind of gassed in that third round against Rick Len. Uh, if he does that against Gordon, Gordon will not fight to a draw with him. Gordon will probably put him out. Um, Gordon's on a three-fight winning streak. I'm going to lean towards Dawson, but that's not a bad fight. Uh, featherweight, Darren Elkins and Tristan Connolly. I don't pick Darren Elkins to win at this point, even though it's not impossible for him to do so. I just don't do it. So, Connolly. Uh, middleweight, Christoph Yatko and Gerald Mershart. Um, Yatko has a lot of ability, but... He's on a 4-1 streak. Only lost to Sean Strickland. Kind of should pick him here. Well, logic. Uh, Mearshart's on a three-fight winning streak. Um, yeah, I'll pick Yotko, and I'm just prepared to accept the fact that Mearshart might very well do what he's done his last couple of fights. Uh, on the prelims, 
Daniel Lacerda and Francisco Figueredo. Okay, picking Little Figgy. So, uh, Francisco. Welterweight Gabriel Green and Johan Lennes. I don't know anything about either of these gentlemen. I'll go with Green. Lightweight Natan Levy and Mike Breeden. Okay, going with Breeden there. Women's flyweight Gina Mazzani and Shanna Young. I'll pick Shanna Young, I think. I just... Jeez. No. Young's 0-2 in the UFC. Mazzani's... Uh, coming off... She got stopped by Priscilla Cachoeira. I'll pick Mazzani, but... Yeah. And a flyweight fight between Tatsuro... Uh, excuse me, Tatsuro Taya and Carlos Candelero. Candelero? I'm just butchering that gentleman's name. A quick look at those two. Um... They're both making their UFC debuts, I believe. Um, Tyra is 10 and 0. Uh, a lot of stuff from Shudo. Whereas Candelario, Candelario? I don't know how he wants that. Uh, he's from the United States, so there could be any number of ways he prefers that pronounced. Um, he lost his contender series fight. Uh, last year. Okay, yeah, I'll go with Tyra. And then somewhere on the card will be Alexander Romanov and Chase Sherman. No problem picking Romanov there. So, yeah, another card that is... Not exactly uh, lightning on fire on the paper. Good main event. And Dawson and Gordon's worth kind of paying attention to. So hopefully it delivers on paper. Uh, that's kind of all we can hope for. Okay. Uh, very briefly on the news side of things. Robert Whitaker is out of his fight with Marvin Vittori. Has some kind of lingering injury. Uh, hopefully he heals up and can get back to action soon enough, and we'll have to see if anyone steps in to fight Marvin Vittori. Um, very briefly, I suppose, uh, Dustin Poirier is making noise about wanting to fight. Uh, Gilbert Burns is kind of saying, hey, come up to welterweight and I'll fight you. And I don't know what the UFC is doing with Dustin Poirier at the moment, but they seem to be kind of screwing him over. And I don't know if it's him or if it's literally no one's willing to actually... People will chirp on social media, but they won't actually sign on the dotted line. But he seems like he wants to be active, and... For some reason, there's not really anything coming of that. I I don't know what they're doing. The the decision making there baffles me, candidly. So that's where we are at the moment. Uh, and that's it for news. So let's check Twitter very quickly, see if anything crazy has happened, and if not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Nope, nothing crazy MMA related. So last week, what did I do? Uh, my usual spate of coverage. No MLW show on Thursday. Uh, I should have remembered that, but I assume they're putting something out unless they're not, uh, until I can specifically remember otherwise. So they had the week off. Uh, they'll be back this week. I'm 90% sure. Uh, there was a Damn You Hollywood on the podcast side of things for uh, Fantastic Beasts. Uh, the most recent one was the, uh, the Secrets of... Dumbledore's Secrets? 
uh, The Secrets of Dumbledore. So, yeah, that was myself, Mark Radulich, Jason Teasley, and Jason's wife uh, made her way to the program. So we talked about that movie, The Good, The Bad, The Otherwise. Uh, this week will be a damn you Hollywood for the Northmen. This is the Robert Eggers film. Getting a fair amount of buzz. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that's going to be me, Mark Radulich, and Gavin Napier. So if you're interested in my thoughts on movies, go over that to there on the W2M network or wherever you're listening to this. Type in Damn You Hollywood. You should be able to find the podcast. Uh, any other podcast this week? I don't think I do. Uh, no. Uh, so just my usual coverage, that's w- uh, AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW on Thursday if they release something, and WWE SmackDown on Friday. This coming week will be a double shot Damn You Hollywood for Bubble and Bell, two different movies. I believe they're both streaming. And I think that's it. As far as my podcast go next week. Yeah, the week after that is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So, yeah. Um, we're doing Firestar the week after that. Okay, sorry, that's further out. Uh, and, of course, Saturday, the UFC event. Then we'll be back here next week to review UFC on ESPN 35. And we will preview UFC 274. Gaethje versus Oliveira. Rhodes, Namajunas, and Carlos Esparza. Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. Hook this into my veins. So, full preview next week. Hope you'll be back for that. Until then, I thank you as always for all the support that you give the show. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>